Welcome to Interesting Times. I'm Joe Streckert. Uh, today's episode is a recording of a live event. This past weekend, I was at a Portland arts and performance space called The Steep and Thorny Way to Heaven. And they do all kinds of performances and variety shows. And they right now have plans for a performance of Richard III. Uh, I spoke at an event that they were calling My Kingdom for a Horse, which was a fundraiser for this performance of Richard III. And at this event, there were all kinds of cool performers, like there was a belly dancer, there was a guy who did sonnets that he also sang out loud with a guitar, and there was me. And I am not an artist. I am a person who talks about things that actually happened. So I opened up the evening with a short talk on the actual real Richard III. The audio is a little wonky. It's a little echoey. Um, but, you know, it's a live event, and that's just something that you have to deal with. Uh, but enjoy! Uh, but yeah, thank you, Megan. Yes, tonight, folks, you're going to see a whole bunch of people doing art and performance and uh, really cool stuff. And to open the evening, I am the boring guy who's going to talk about reality. And so we are going to get the boring, stupid reality out of the way really quickly so you can see a bunch of, like, uh, aerialists and other stuff. That would be cool. Uh, but yeah, I want to talk about Richard III, the guy, as opposed to Richard III, the character. And I also want to put this out there before I say anything else, that I think both of them are interesting. I don't think that one of them negates the other. But I want you to think about something. I want you to think about Bill Clinton. You guys remember Bill Clinton, right? Yeah. Okay. Wonderful. Um, Bill Clinton's early years of his administration, there's all kinds of rumors about him. You know, some of them ended up being true, like his womanizing. Um, some of them weird and complex and mostly unsubstantiated, like Whitewater. Does anyone remember that? <laughs> kind of. I still don't understand it. Yeah. And then there was one really, really shadowy, vile kind of conspiracy theory about Bill Clinton that circulated around his uh, advisor, uh, Vince Foster, who ended up killing himself. And, this is getting dark, and if you were to go really, really into the dark, horrible bowels of right-wing conspiracy talk radio, you would have heard all kinds of stuff about how the Clintons were behind Vince Foster's Murder. Murder most foul, absolutely. Um, and how the whole Clinton administration with Bill and Hillary was this sort of den of vipers and corruption and immorality. You can probably see where I'm going with this. Okay? You've, you've put the pieces together. I want you to imagine that somebody were to make a movie about Bill Clinton and all of the worst right-wing conspiracy theories sort of ideas are absolutely, totally real, and he is a corrupt, womanizing, white-watering, Vince Foster-killing opportunist, and he is unapologetic about it. Richard III. So, yeah, yeah, I know this might shock you, but there are some things about the actual real guy, Richard III, that are probably maybe a little bit different from uh, the guy in Shakespeare's play. Um, I love the character in Shakespeare's play. I love the character in Shakespeare's play because in that very first scene, he says, hello, I am Richard... He doesn't say hello, I'm Richard III. He's too blouser at the time. He's not Richard III yet. But he says, hi, I'm the main character. I'm an asshole. Uh, I like wartime. 
It's not war anymore. I don't know what to do with myself. I'm ugly and can't get laid. So I guess I'll get my brother and my king to hate. I'll get my brother and the king, my other brother, to hate each other. Plot will happen. And I love this. I love this because a lot of the other characters in Shakespeare who end up doing terrible, terrible things, they fall. Uh, like Othello, like Macbeth, like Brutus. You know, they're all good people who end up doing awful stuff. Richard, though, he just says, yeah, I'm a dick, and owns it from literally the start of the play. Um, and one of the things that's a big motivator for him is how completely fugly he looks. He's weird looking. He has a humpback. He has a withered arm. Uh, one wonders how he is even effective on a battlefield, given how nasty you know Shakespeare describes him. I mean, here's how he describes himself in that opening monologue. Cheated of feature by dissembling nature, deformed, unfinished, sent before my time into this breathing world, scarce have made, and that's so lamely and unfashionable that dogs bark, bark at me as I halt by them. Dogs bark at him. Man's best friend. <laughs> Like animals that love you unconditionally if you give them kibble. Cannot stand this guy. That is how evil he is. Um, and the overall image that I have of Shakespeare's Richard III is that he's sort of like an RPG character who's taken like this gigantic hit to his physical appearance and a bunch of disads in like comeliness or charisma, or whatnot, so he can take a whole bunch of other points and put them into intelligence and cunning and stabbiness. <laughs> and Shakespeare attributes a lot of Richard's villainy uh, and his motivations to you know, his nastiness and also his sexual frustration. That opening monologue is about kind of why he can't get laid. But, this might shock you, the real Richard was not a sociopathic quasi-mode. <laughs> so, as you guys might have heard, a few years ago in 2012, uh, they dug up his bones underneath the car park. Yeah, they did. Yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> and what Richard had was a condition called idiopathic scoliosis. So, it does lead to a curvature of the spine. If actually you go online and search for pictures of his skeleton, yeah, his spine curves in a very, very noticeable way. However, if you were actually hanging out with the real guy, Richard, here's what you would have noticed. You would have noticed that one shoulder was a little higher than the other shoulder. That's about it. Yeah. The whole withered arm thing, the whole sort of like dogs barking at him because he's so terrible, uh, not a thing. And Richard and a lot of other people with this condition can lead completely normal lives. They're fine. It doesn't hurt you, and it doesn't mean you're, you know, unsightly and deformed. It turns you into an asshole from line one. Also, apparently, the real dude was sort of hot. Um, they did some reconstructions on his. They did some reconstructions on his face from the skull they found underneath that car park, and uh, guy had a nice looking chin, sort of, you know, cheekbones, all that. Uh, contemporary people who encountered him said that he was comely. Uh, one other person who spent a few times, this is one of my favorite descriptions of him, commented on his delicate arms and legs. So apparently people who actually hung out with this guy thought he was sort of great. Also, um, Shakespeare makes kind of a lot of Richard sort of self-hatred and how he can't, like, caper in the ladies' chamber and all that. Um, but 
he was not frustrated and virginal by the time he became king. Uh, we do know that he had two illegitimate kids um, by the time he became Richard III. Uh, most scholars are think, that, think that they're from his teen years. So we know that he had sex at least twice. <laughs> and given that not every single time you do the deed, kids happen, despite what your scaremongering middle school like health classes might have said to you, uh, he was probably doing fine. But again, I love the Richard in the Shakespeare play. One of my favorite things about him is how cartoonishly evil that he is. And early on in the play, he drowns his... Well, he doesn't do it. He has some new goons do it. He has his brother, the Duke of Clarence, drowned in a barrel of wine. Woo! Yes! Yeah. Remember what Joffrey threatened to do to Sir Dontos in Game of Thrones? Yes, that was supposedly a real thing. Supposedly. So when I was looking up on this, there was absolutely no contemporary evidence that that actually happened. And that was a rumor that sprang up after the Duke of Clarence's death, probably because this guy liked his wine a lot, and that would have been funny. <sighs> I really wish we actually had substantive evidence that happened, because it would be funny. It's not funny, and I have to like... Um, but yeah. Yeah, not a thing. Not a thing. Um, also, in the play, after that scene, after like Clarence gets all winified, there is a scene where Richard and Edward, the king, they're hanging out, and Edward is like, Hey, Clarence, my brother, he's in custody. Maybe I should pardon him. And Richard is like, Oh, God, you didn't do that already? The message didn't get there in time. And then Richard, he's, he's fucking with his brother, basically. And uh, then the king thinks, Oh, no, I, I didn't act soon enough. And then he's overcome with grief and the implication that sometimes played this way. That basically Richard talks Edward to death, guilts him to death, and uses his like charisma skills that he spent a lot of character points on to make the king die. Um, probably not a thing. Um, Edward did die young. He was about 41 or 42 years old, and they think that he probably had diabetes. I don't know. Isn't that really suck? Isn't it boring? I know, this is this is terrible. And then we're getting to the big thing. The big evil thing. The princes in the tower. Yeah. I know. So, you know, killing your brother in a vat of wine, talking to King to death. We're talking about, you know, adult dudes here. Um, but what about murdering tiny little moppets? Um, if you do a Google image search for princes in the tower, so there's a whole bunch of like uh, painters, especially romantic era painters, who have painted these kids, and they make them the most adorable little cherubic guys ever. They're just like blonde and pouty-lipped and everything. And here's what happened. So Richard, he says, and apparently this is a real thing that happened. Uh, Edward dies, and Richard becomes Lord Protector. Because the king that you would have had would have been 12. And do you want to follow a 12-year-old into battle? No. Don't make a boy king. That is how you get a Joffrey. Yeah, don't do that. So they said, okay, we're going to have Richard as Lord Protector until the king comes of age. And, you know, the king, quote-unquote, and his brother are going to hang out at the Tower of London, which apparently was a traditional place where kings would hang out before getting all kingified. Uh, so it wasn't really weird that they were hanging out in the Tower of London. It's not like Richard had to put them in a prison or anything. They were just hanging out in, like, the king-to-be 
house. Um, then they disappeared. And really, this is actually a great unsolved mystery. We have no idea what happened to these kids. Like, really, nothing. Like, people debate this. People, like, are wondering about this. This is, like, one of the biggest unsolved murder mysteries, maybe it's a murder mystery ever. Um, I think it's completely reasonable that Richard killed them, to be completely honest. Um, yeah, it does make perfect sense. They're a threat to his reign. Awesome. You, okay, if you, like, go online and look about this stuff, there are so many, like, weird conspiracy theories about this. And there are a non-zero number of people who think that maybe, maybe the Tudors also killed these kids. Because they were just as big of a threat to Henry as they were to Richard. So there are lots of, like, Richard apologists who think, <laughs> oh, maybe he honestly was, you know, acting in good faith, and then the kids just got displaced, then maybe Henry, Henry sliced them up. You know what? I think he killed him. Honestly, I think that's just the simplest, most direct thing. He, he probably off the kids. But here's the thing. If Richard did kill kids, I mean, that's horrible. But if he did actually, for real, like, murder these children, that really did, doesn't make him all that different from British monarchs that come before him. Um, a friend of mine uh, in town, he does a podcast appropriately titled The British History Podcast. Guess what it's about? It's about British history. And basically his take of British history for the hundreds of years before we even get to this time period is that English monarchs were basically throwing a non-stop murder party punctuated by occasional sex with nuns. So killing your relatives so you could solidify power Richard would not have been the first or even second or even, like, fifth guy to do that if he did it. Um, there were some skeletons that about 200 years later, somebody did find in the Tower of London, and they think that they maybe kind of sort of match the princes in the tower, um, but those got interned, and unless somebody wants to go to Westminster Abbey and do some grave robbing, we will never... I do. I totally do. But we're never going to know. So, here's the other thing about Richard. End of the play, Battle of Bosworth Field, My Kingdom for a Horse, all that, um, is treated as him kind of sort of getting his comeuppance. Here's the thing. Henry Tudor was riding in, and Henry Tudor had basically as legitimate a claim to the throne as Richard did, which is to say, not really any claim at all. He got himself a whole bunch of French mercenaries, and decided that he was going to invade England, and he did, and he happened to win. And had he not won, we might have just thought, well, that happened, and the Plantagenets, they repelled a bunch of French mercenaries at the end. But no, he wins, and here's the thing. Henry, in a certain way, is just as vicious and nasty and terrible as Richard was. So remember when I said, 2012, they take up his body, they do a bunch of like CSI-type stuff on Richard, and they find some messed up shit on his body, including post-mortem injuries. So, the prevailing theory that they did for reconstructing the skeleton is that after he died, and they think he was killed by a blow to the head, his helmet probably got knocked off, probably got stabbed right in the noggin, after he died, it seems like he was stripped naked, draped over a horse, and
And then Henry had his guys take pot shots at the naked fallen king. <laughs> Including, and I am not making this up, several stabs to the butt. Yes, Henry Tudor said, hey, we won. Instead of treating our fallen you know, enemy with respect, let's strip him naked and stab him in the butt. So, some discrepancies. Um, there are apologists nowadays for Richard III. There are lots of kinds of people who insist on being historical, historical contrarians and saying, no, he was a great guy. Do I think he was a great guy? Probably not. He did have some cool things, like he introduced bail and the presumption of innocence during his two-year reign to the English judicial system. And that's cool. Bail is good. I've never had to make bail before, but I imagine I would appreciate it if I had to. And I think necessarily no historical figure could possibly measure up or measure down to Shakespeare's figure. Of course, there's going to be discrepancies. Um, this is, by the way, hard for me to say. Um, I self-identify as a journalist. I have a history podcast. I, again, I don't think of myself as an artist. I'm interested in stupid, annoying facts. <laughs> so this is hard for me to say. Art is not beholden to facts. I know, I know, it's terrible. Like, I think art is allowed to be quote-unquote wrong. Art is allowed to do what it wants. And I think that it is great that Shakespeare took a character who was maybe shady and turned it into something cartoonishly and wonderfully evil. And one of my favorite things about Richard III is that it is, you know, between 90 minutes to three hours, however they have to play, that you spend with a goddamn supervillain. <laughs> Which is great. No actual living human being, living, breathing human being, could possibly, possibly be like him. Which is wonderful. I think it's wonderful that a figure like that, from history, could inspire a figure like that in art. Thank you guys very much. Thank you guys very much. Hope you enjoyed that. Again, sorry about the bad audio quality. Uh, again, the steep and thorny way to heaven. They're doing a performance of Richard III and find links to all of the info for tickets and such if you live in the Portland area uh, over at interestingtimespodcast.com. We are completely 100% totally supported by our Patreon supporters. Thank you very, very much to those of you who have been supporting the podcast on Patreon. If you want to do that, go to interestingtimespodcast.com, click on Support Interesting Times on Patreon, do that. I am on Twitter and Facebook, facebook.com slash interestingtimes with Joe Streckert, and at Joe Streckert on the Twitter. I would really like your guys' feedback. Please do comment on posts, tweet at me. Um, there's a contact button on interestingtimespodcast.com. But best of all, you could actually just review the podcast on iTunes. Uh, search for Interesting Times on iTunes. Give us a review. Give us, give us five stars while you're there. Let me know what you think of the show. Thank you very much for listening. Talk to you later. Bye.
Side